Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Hello, folks, and welcome to episode two of the Believe in Wizards podcast. Again, I am Matt Moderno, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Larry Hughes. Larry, how's it going? Uh, life is going, man. How you doing? I <laughs> can't complain. I uh, got outside yesterday, got a couple shots up. It was nice to move around a little bit, but definitely ready for this to be over. Well, it, it is springtime, so, you know, the flowers are starting to bloom, and, you know, a little bit of rain is coming down, uh, but the weather is getting warm, so hopefully we can get outside and be active a little bit more. Yeah, going to be harder and harder to keep people indoors when it's 75 degrees and sunny. For sure. Uh, so, uh, obviously, I think both of us and, and most of the people listening to a basketball-related podcast like this are, are probably um, are hurting for some basketball to watch. And I just recently saw today that the Big Three has announced that they are going to do a quarantine tournament where all of the players that participated in it would be checked to see if they have the virus in advance. And once they're cleared, they'd all be put into the same house and be kept clear of, of everybody that hasn't been properly screened. And then that way they could ensure that everybody is virus-free and then they can just kind of start up a three-on-three tournament and, and keep everybody contained in one location. What do you think about that idea? Oh, well, I hope that idea wasn't stolen from, from the NBA. I, I heard uh, the commissioner kind of allude to something like that. So I hope those guys aren't kind of poaching what the NBA is thinking and trying to see who will get there first. That's tough. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I know Adam Silver talked uh, about just getting some kind of content out there for, for fans to watch. So I, I didn't hear a lot of the specifics. Obviously, I would prefer it be NBA basketball. I think at this point, I would take pretty much, uh, pretty much anything to watch. Yeah, we may take some youth basketball to watch as well. And that's a good idea. If if we can uh, we can find enough people that are that are healthy and good to go, I, I think any level would be fun. I think uh, one big thing I saw that the NBA has done they're making the the NBA League Pass available for everybody through the end of April. I want to say so the next month you can watch every game from this season or even previous seasons uh, at any time. Just just so folks have something to kind of go back and and kill some time with. Yeah, I think it's good, man, just to give give some value uh, to those fans. Commissioner talked about it last his last interview and was just talking about the number of fans that are that don't get a chance to visit the arenas. Those that are watching on their phone or computers, just getting those updates. So I mean the fan base is huge. So any you know, any little bit of content, you know, I believe is gonna, you know, satisfy the majority. And as we continue to get through these times, you know, it's just good that the NBA is showing, you know, that they're in it. Uh, to help the people out. Is it still worth trying to salvage this season if it means cutting into next season? Well, I definitely like to see, you know, basketball being played this season. I think that we're in for a new normal. I think we don't understand exactly what that normal is, but the commissioner spoke about when are the peak times for watching basketball? How often do people watch during the fall months? Is it a better start time around Christmas? So I think that all of these things are on the table if they can pull them off and it makes sense. But I think that we're in for a new normal. So we can't really use the past as our as our gauge. 
We have to expect that things will change, dates will change, and that means start times and ending times will also change. I just don't really buy the argument that in the year 2020, people aren't going to consume content if the finals are next July or something like that. The, the way people consume media today, like you said, it's, it's watching things on their phone or pretty much anywhere you are. If you're interested in watching the NBA finals, you're going to make that happen. And a large portion of the fan base are, are younger people. So if, you know, for you as a parent, would you rather your son at the end of the school year while he's getting ready to take exams and stuff like that, be trying to stay up till 12 o'clock at night to watch games? Or would you rather it be over July while he's staying up late and hanging out with his friends anyway? Right. That's a great point. So we all, there's different strokes for different folks, right? And I think that they are trying to uh, make sure that it's the, the engagement is still there. Uh, the viewership is still there because again, there's a lot of dollars that rely on that. And those guys have crazy metrics that I'm sure that they'll figure it out. And then the public will have to adjust to it. And that's the thing. It's such a global brand with so much interest that that summer calendar might be relevant here too, but maybe that's, I don't know what research they've done into what that's like for the rest of the globe. Summer break isn't the same here as it is in in Eastern Europe or somewhere where you might have a fan base too. So it, it might actually benefit them in some ways. So I appreciate that about Adam Silver, that he seems kind of open-minded to looking beyond, you know, traditional convention and, and try new things. That is huge. I mean, just because of the times that we're in and things are changing, we're becoming more active, we're becoming more mobile. And then to have someone that's in charge, you know, kind of leading that understanding of it's not just my way or, or how we've done it in the past is the best way. Always looking to be innovative and be creative in situations where we can gain more viewership, uh, gain more dollars to the game, gain more fans to the game uh, that come from different walks of life. My wife and I actually just this year cut cut the cord, as they say, and, and got rid of cable and, and did Hulu has, you know, live sports uh, as kind of that, that option instead. And I, I get a notification every time there's a Wizards game. And if I click one thing on my phone, I am now streaming the Wizards wherever I am from my phone. And it's just, if, if, I'm, if I'm interested in watching that game, I'm going to watch it regardless of where I am. That's actually been really convenient for me trying to follow this team uh, more actively over the last year or so. It's just anywhere I am, I have access to them to watching them. I don't have to be in front of one TV set in one room of my house or something like that. Yeah, and that's the beauty of the game. I mean, just to have access at any given time, uh, anywhere to pull up things that you want to watch. Since we last talked, we've seen three other Nets or four other Nets players, including Kevin Durant, that have been diagnosed with coronavirus. Got to imagine that if four players from that one team have it, there's a pretty good percentage of other teams that do as well, even though it's starting to come out slowly but surely what teams have been tested and what the, the rate of infection is, I guess. When Kevin Durant's name got thrown out for coronavirus, one of the other mentions for him was if the season is delayed, that someone like him that's recovering from injury that might potentially allow them to come back and, and be available for the, either the rest of the regular season, however many games that is, or, or the playoff race. That same logic, I guess, realistically could apply to someone like John Wall, who from everything we've heard or seen from practices and stuff like that, if you're throwing down 360 dunks uh, and, and running pickup with Bertans and stuff like that in late February, you, you got to think John Wall would be pretty close to, to healthy by July or August. If the season does push back and he's cleared and healthy and the team gives him the thumbs up, would you like to see someone like Wall get a couple games in before the end of the year? Yeah, I, I would. I would. I think that that's, you know, best case scenario for them trying to grow what they're doing, trying to 
continue to build on what they have. I think it, him getting out there is important, not only for the organization, but also for him. Because once you get out there, you get a chance to play, you get a chance to get a feel, you get some up and down. Then you go into your break and you kind of know what you need to work on and what you know, didn't work at the end of the season or how much better condition you have to get in or what sort of strength and conditioning you have to, to do. So it just gives you a, a little heads up on on what you need to do for the next season. So if they push it back, I say go for it if, if he's been running up and down. And like you said, doing 360s, he's engaged in the game. He's on the benches, uh, watching games. He's interacting with his teammates. So I'm sure he's jumping at the bit to get back out there. Uh, so as an organization, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold him back if he's healthy. Just from, from playing, you know, low level recreational sports that, that after I've had an injury, the, the first couple times back, there's obviously some amount of your tentative, you, you kind of want to feel it out, see what you're actually capable of, not push things too hard. Larry, you were unfortunately a, a little banged up over the last couple years of your career. What's that like trying to come back from an injury and, and slowly test your body a little bit more as you move along? Well, it's very different from the rec league and transitioning sure. back to the, the basketball court. Yeah. It, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, you think about the players and the guys that you're going up against and how long they've been training and working and what sort of rhythm that they have as a player and also as a team, and you're kind of jumping in there new. So it's always a struggle to get going because you're jumping in uh, with guys that are there in full strength, you know, they're in full stride. So that's always tough. But at the same time, I'm, I'm a basketball player. So if I can run up and down, I have the ability to slide from side to side, I'm out there. I'm out there playing, um, understanding, you know, like I said, what, what we need to get better for the next time that I'm out on the floor. And just eventually build that strength up to where going at full speed when the time is right. You saw this with Kevin Durant during the finals where he's a big time competitor and, and he really wanted to get back out there. And, and maybe it was a little too soon. How, how much mental back and forth goes on between, hey, I really want to go out and win some games or make a playoff run versus, you know, my livelihood and, and my family's ability to, to, to bring home this level of money depends on my body holding up longer term. How, how do you wrestle with that? Yeah, I think during the season, that really doesn't come into play. Now, when you're in the off season, you think about what I need to do to make sure that my body is healthy. What do I need to do to make sure I can make it through a full season? So if there's a contract looming there, you have that opportunity to, you know, to reach that goal. But during the season, I think all of those things go out of the window uh, because you want to compete mm -hmm. and you want to be there to support your team, you want to be there as a support uh, for the organization, you know, for the fans that are constantly sending you message on social media. So as a player, I'm not necessarily thinking about the long term effects of an injury during the season. As soon as I get injured, I'm interested in what that rehab process is. And then I'm interested in how long do we take that rehab into actual live game competition. As a player in a high, you know, a high level player, you're not going to be concerned with anything other than getting out and competing and showing who you are. You probably can't think that way. If, if you're playing not to get hurt and or not to tweak something else, I can't imagine that that's not also putting some sort of subconscious strain on your body too. I would think it does, man. You gotta, you gotta be all in. You gotta go for it. There's a loose ball. You gotta dive for it. There's an offensive rebound. You gotta take that opportunity to get that offensive rebound. Um, so you're completely, completely engulfed in the game and how to be the best person you can be, your best player you can be, as opposed to you can't worry about those injuries. They say it a lot of times in football is, you know, the next man up, next mm -hmm. man up, next man up. I mean, that's really true within you know our space as well is you want to make sure that you are the next man. 
while we're on the topic of playing hard and, and somebody that plays with a lot of energy and, and sometimes, you know, even reckless uh, abandon in a good way. One of the names I keep hearing mentioned from the fan base at large is, is Tristan Thompson. Uh, I guess that was a name that was kind of floated about during the trade deadline as someone the Wizards could target. He's a free agent this offseason whenever this offseason actually ends up being. But you keep hearing uh, that name come up a lot. What do you think about Tristan's game and, and maybe how he might fit with this particular roster? I think he's a champion. Uh, he's a champion. He has good pedigree. Uh, he's learned from some of you know the top players in the game. So I think he has value. And I think he brings uh, that mentality to a team. I've watched Tristan play since he came into the league. And his work ethic, his motor, it was good when he first came in, but it's only gotten better. And I think that those are things that younger players, um, a team, an organization that's trying to build something from the ground up, those are pieces that they need within their within their system, uh, within their culture. And just depending on pricing, right, it always boils down to pricing and cost. But from a from a, a player, from a, a, a person standpoint, I think that there's value there uh, with Tristan as a basketball player. Tristan's someone I've been high on for a long time. Actually, uh, my last year of college, I was covering a national high school tournament. I was uh, at Georgetown Prep, which is right down the street from me while I was at the University of Maryland. And he was playing for for a Finley Prep team that had him and Corey Joseph, Avery Bradley. Like They were stacked. And I remember sitting with a couple of national level writers at the time who like, ah, he's too small. You know, How can he play center in the NBA? He's not really a four. And I just remember seeing him like, just outwork everybody on the court and being like, ah, this guy's, this guy's going to make it at some level. Now, I think he's obviously probably exceeded uh, what I, what I expected at that point. So i um, definitely been a big fan for, for a long time. I like the energy he could bring, but I think the thing you hit on there is always the most important part is, is the price. And Davis Bertans is, is obviously going to cost them a good amount of change this, this off season too. So how much does that leave for, for somebody like Tristan? You know, I think he makes like $18 million a year, probably the neighborhood of a deal that, that, that Bertans is looking at. So things get awful expensive pretty quick when, when you start talking about guys in, in that ballpark, especially when you have two max contract players or in Wall's case, a, a super max contract player. For sure. I mean, the direction of the team and how it's presented to the top free agents that obviously you want to begin to build a, a team. So your cost and what you spend is going to be very important. So it's very important for the organization, for those guys to really sell you know, what the vision is, right? We have to have some buy-in to what we're doing, what we're trying to accomplish. And I think that that's a conversation that players go back and they understand, okay, maybe the dollar value isn't there, but the vision and the opportunity is there. So you kind of get some some leeway as far as to who you can bring in and what sort of conversation you can have. Yeah, if a, if a team or an organization seems like a better fit than somewhere else, I would imagine that that probably has to factor in just as much as the money, assuming they're comparable. I'm guessing guys aren't taking too huge of a discount just to go somewhere like that. But you, you see that the teams that are that are well run organizationally seem to get a lot of better free agents. And part of that's got to be clear delineation of roles and the direction they're heading in and the culture and all those things you hear about. Sure, sure. So I, I think this transitions nicely into uh, a question we got on Twitter. Um, again, our Twitter is Believe in Wizards. That's B-L-E-A-V for the Believe Podcast Network. This is from Ed, who asks, and this was specifically directed at you, Larry, who sets the defensive culture for the Wizards? Is that Scott Brooks, or does that have to come from higher up? Is Scott Brooks the guy to do that long term? And I think this stems from something we talked about last week with how the best teams are, are their, their defense is what differentiates them. So, so how do you get guys to buy in and help become a defense first organization? 
I think it, it does start with the coach. And obviously you have to be in lock and step with the general manager. And then that escalates up to the president. But I think it does start with the coach because it's about his philosophy. It's about his schemes. It's about his ability to adapt to the players that may be on that roster at the time. Uh, but the, the head coach is really convincing the general manager about the best process and the, the best opportunity to win and how can we win. I mean, history shows us that, you know, those teams that are playing defense, those teams that have a defensive focus are the ones that are most successful. So I will look and start at, you know, our coach is going to have that message. Our coach is going to push the thoughts of defense is going to win us games and defense is going to get us to where we want to go. And then obviously we, we think of the general manager, the president to support that thought process as well, to make sure that we are now getting in those guys that say a coach may need or someone that the coach is thinking can change the defensive philosophy or the defensive thought process within the entire team, then it's the coach's job to get the general manager and the president to buy into that sort of journey. In short, I just think that if your head coach is not focused in on the defensive principles to be successful, then I think it's it's hard for the general manager to, or the president to, to mandate that sort of process. You see all the top organizations where it seems like the teams that are really successful, that, that everybody seems to be on the same page, where you hear a lot about general managers like to bring in their own coach when they come in. And I think some amount of that is just making sure that they've got somebody that, that's kind of aligned with their vision for how things will work. I don't know how many coaching changes you went through while you were with one team, but is it hard for guys that have been used to playing a certain way on a particular team to sort of change that and, and pivot to either a different style of play or a different mentality once they've kind of gotten used to playing a certain way for a particular coach. Like, can, can Scott Brooks say, hey, we haven't been a lockdown defensive team in the last two years, but hey, same guys that have been on the roster for those years now totally change and now we're a defensive team. Like, how tough is something like that? Well, I think that can be done because I believe that each player in the in the league has the ability to play defense. At some point in time in their career, they had to play defense or else they wouldn't be on the court. So that just doesn't go away um, when you make it to the league. Obviously, we put a lot of emphasis on putting the basketball in the hole. So our scores and our guys that average 25, 30 points are the guys that get the most attention. Um, and then those guys that can also average 25 and 30 points, but also play defense like a Kawhi, you know, he's going to get that attention. But at the same time, you know, I, I was in Golden State. I believe I had four coaches in the three years that I was there. Wow. And that's tough. I mean, that is tough uh, for any professional athlete, you know, to understand direction, understand roles, responsibility, uh, different philosophy coming in. But did we have the ability? Did we have players on that team that had the ability to play basketball at a high level? Yes. Were we a team that, you know, won or lost 15 16 games in a row? Yes. So I think at some point you are and can be a product of your environment as far as the different philosophies, as far as different guys that you may follow with the coaches or the assistant coaches or the general manager. But at the end of the day, it takes that guy that's in the locker room for the majority of the time. And I look at the head coach as being that guy that's going to galvanize everybody together and know that we can point a finger to the San Antonio Spurs. We can point a finger to the Golden State Warriors. We can point a finger to the Toronto Raptors and you can understand what it takes to actually be a champion and 
how hard it is to be a champion. And a lot of that is because of the defensive commitment that you have to make in order to win a championship. You always hear on the broadcasts and, and from members, especially national media, about how much the star player sets the tone for, for the way the team operates, whether it's Tim Duncan or LeBron or whoever, you know, you've, hear, you've heard those names, you know, kind of talked about where, where they've been successful for longer periods of time, the, the Steph Curry's, guys like that. Do you, do you buy into that, that like, if, if your best player isn't a lockdown defender or at least giving max effort on defense that other guys won't also buy in or are guys pretty self-reliant in terms of how hard they play and how motivated they are? No, I would think it starts from, from the top player on the team as well. Uh, it is a, you know, Simon says, you know, now it's time to play defense sort of thing. It, there is a pecking order uh, within NBA locker rooms that you know who the top players are on the team and you know what sort of things apply to just those top guys. And if your top guy is not competing at a high level in defense, that they're only focused on the offensive end as a player, that that's a disconnect because as an organization, we're talking about winning a championship. And we completely know that if player 1A is not doing things on both ends of the court, then we're not going to win a championship even if everyone else is doing both ends of the court. So I would say, you know, making sure that everyone is bought into that process is a huge win for the entire organization. Do you need that guy to actually be like a really good defender or even if he's maybe a subpar defender based on his tool, you know, physical tools or whatever, but at least he's putting in effort and buying into the the team philosophy and things like that. Is, is that enough on that end? Like I was thinking of somebody like Steph Curry specifically that, yeah. You know, Clay is the better perimeter defender of the two of them, but especially they've, as they've gone along, Steph's acquitted himself pretty well by by putting in the effort, trying to get in the passing lanes. When somebody bigger gets switched onto him, he, he resists. You know, like, does does that is that enough? I guess. I think it's enough. I think he's showing effort. He's showing that he's going to do everything physically physically possible to make sure that he's helping his team out. If that's being in the right position, if that's understanding, that I'm not as physically gifted as someone else, but I'm in position to take a charge. What you can't have is the ole of someone driving to the basket and that guy just moving completely out of the way. Or there's a rotation and X guys is still standing in the same spot. Those are things that that losing teams do. And there's no there's no recipe for uh, success if, if we're if our main guy is not engaged in, in what we're doing. We talked a little bit last time about, you know, Bradley Beal's defense so far um, this season. And at times the effort has been a little inconsistent, but some of that is probably situational. So you hope that you start fresh next year and that Wall comes back and is energized and having sat out a year is, is really ready to get after it. And that sort of filters down to the rest of the roster as well. But sticking with Twitter questions here, apologies, uh, I forget who asked this one. So it's a little bit of a lighter question. Of this Wizards team, if you had to be stuck with one to hang out with while quarantined, who off the roster would you pick? Is it Brad Beal because he's a St. Louis guy and you have more stuff in common? Or who you got? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a homer. I'm a homer. So if, if I got to chill and be with, be with just one person, man, it would be my guy, uh, Brad. I like it. Uh, I, I would go either either Thomas Bryant or Troy Brown Jr. They're they're kind of silly. They keep it light. Uh, seem like fun, good guys. So it probably wouldn't be a chore to have to hang out with them. <laughs> For sure. 
Okay, so uh, let's maybe switch back to kind of general NBA here for a few minutes. Uh, it seems more and more likely that if there is a regular season, it's going to be pretty minimal. So that means that the bulk of the season has taken place, and and I think uh, people's resumes are, are pretty set here. So by the time we do resume, you might start to see, hey, who are the regular season award winners, the, the MVP, the most improved, the coach of the year, defensive player of the year. So I figured we could kind of go through and just if the season does in fact end from what we've seen so far, who who would you pick for each of those categories? So so let's start with with MVP. You know, Larry, there's a particular guy you, you've played with uh, personally that, that's definitely at the top of that list. Would LeBron be your bet or would you stick with Giannis? I would actually stick with Giannis. I, w- I would stick with Giannis. I mean, it's Bron is, is great, man. Bron is, is um, 17 years, right? Still doing it at a, at a high level, top of the Western Conference. But Giannis, man, is, is something different for me. Uh, both on both ends of the court, just the amount of intensity that he plays with, his complete demeanor of, of you know wanting to be the best and proving you know he is the best every night. I just like what he's done for his his, his second time around chasing the MVP trophy. You hear this kind of conversation, and it was going going pretty heavy right before uh, all the coronavirus stuff and the season suspension happened. But about all the on-off numbers when LeBron's off the court, the Lakers are like a below-average team. And you can give me all the numbers you want, but just watching as much Eastern Conference basketball as I have this year, <laughs> there's no way I'm I'm going against Giannis. It's it's really impressive and. Not that Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe and both Lopez brothers aren't aren't great players, but uh, none of them are Anthony Davis, and they're they're taking guys that obviously fill a role. But the way that Giannis attracts so much attention allows Dante Divincenzo to to fill that role and spread the floor. George Hills had kind of a resurgence this year and, and tail end of last year, you know, just because he frees you up to do so much. I think that would be my bet as well. So uh, let's let's transition over to a defensive player of the year. Um, Giannis is another name that that you could easily have at the top of that list too. And, and we obviously mentioned Anthony Davis. He's a, a contender. Who would who would you go with? I go with Anthony Davis on this one. Uh, Anthony is, I mean, his ability to switch, uh, play multiple positions, rebound the basketball, block shots, uh, and also be an offensive force uh, for that team and for the league, for that matter. But his presence, I think his mentality is that of a, of a defensive player of the year. His thought process is really about defense, and he knows how to win championships. I don't know if I just hadn't been watching uh, enough Pelicans basketball over the last couple of years, but and I obviously watched him play a ton at Kentucky, and I, I just didn't realize he was kind of this good of a defender, and and maybe part of that was just teammates and stuff like that, and you need some help to kind of to fully look the part, I think, but... Uh, yeah, the Lakers games I've watched, it, it just really sets the tone for everybody else. And um, I, I think that's part of what's made, you know, the Dwight Howards and, and players like that. And JaVale McGee even like look as good as they've looked, you know, more than people expected. Just, it's got to be pretty easy to play next to somebody like Anthony Davis when he's playing at that level. Yeah, I wouldn't mind at all. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. 
as, as somebody that you know it, it was a uh, at one point a contender for for this type of award i definitely trust your opinion there so I, I will definitely stick with that and say anthony davis so the this one i think is probably the the most interesting um is the uh coach of the year award i think you could make a case for like six or seven guys pretty easily and and that seems rare i mean a lot of times it's okay this is the best team so let's give their coach coach of the year but you could throw out Billy Donovan in Oklahoma City or, or Nick Nurse for what they've done or Brad Stevens or Mike Budenholzer or Frank Vogel. Like you could you could literally give a half dozen guys. Uh, Doc Rivers, I think the job he's done can't be underrated. That, that's got to be pretty tough to take the team they had last year. And I, I, it's not tough to add on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Let me say it that way. But it, it's two big pieces and that's got to be a pretty big fundamental shift with all the, the load management and things like that and Paul George being injured, there's just probably been a lot to juggle. Yeah, from for me, for the coach, I mean, I think Billy Donovan, you know, should give CP a high five every time he sees him. Because uh, that one that one for me came out of, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of talks about, you know, maybe them moving on and, and going a different direction. Uh, so he's definitely done a great job. But for me, it's going to be Nick Nurse. Uh, just the, the job that he's done with, being consistent. I mean, he was on that staff you know, before he took over, but just being consistent, uh, losing the top player, you know, off of that team, but still being in position to compete. Um, those guys were playing great basketball. Again, it was centered around great defense and fast paced offense. Uh, so for me, it, it's Nick Nurse uh, this year. One of the names I, I didn't mention was Heat coach Eric Spolstra, and you could also make a case for him too, I think. But I would actually kind of point to the, you know, when you get to executive of the year award is where I would kind of give the the heat some love. Not that Eric Spolster also hasn't done a good job, but the way they've brought in kind of lesser heralded players like Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson, and mm-hmm. they they cleared out some guys that they were having some issues with and brought in productive veterans. Uh, that That's, I think, to me, kind of overshadows the the job that Eric Spolster's done. But to, to your point about Nick Nurse, I... I got to be honest, I, I I like a lot of the guys on the Raptors team, but and I would have expected them to be a playoff team, but the level of success they've had is is totally surprising to me. I, I didn't account for Pascal Siakam getting that much better, and I kind of assumed that at some point, you know, Kyle Lowry would start to break down and miss some games here or there, and he has missed a few this year, but... Uh, Van Vliet's been been great when he's been healthy, and you know OG Ananobi's been really good, and I kind of forgot Norman Powell was like a pretty good NBA player until the way he came out of the gates this season. So it, it'd be hard to vote against him, I think. Yeah, I mean, all these, all these coaches are ending up with this amazing talent, but that just speaks of just the worldwide talent you know that's around. I mean, like the Nun in in Miami, you know, these guys, you know, Norman Powell in, in Toronto, these aren't guys that are on the billboards or the NBA is not necessarily promoting or highlighting, but these guys have a lot of basketball game and the coaches are benefiting from, you know, a collection of, of all of this talent. For sure. Yeah. I got to imagine a a coaching job is, is that much easier, the better, the better the players you have are. Uh, So one of the names we mentioned there uh, was Pascal Siakam. That was last year's most improved player in one of the rarest circumstances I can remember in NBA history, he could actually be a candidate to win that award again this year. Uh, just, I think the jump he took from two years ago to last year is uh, almost about as big as the jump he took from last year to this year, seemingly. Uh, you could throw out a whole lot of guys who, Brandon Ingram, I think is another name that, that comes to mind. While putting some articles together before the year, I 
I put Thomas Bryant on my list of guys I would consider as potential candidates for most improved player of the year. That one has obviously not panned out as well as we hoped, um, just given the injuries and, you know, the overall team status, but always hope for next year. Who, who would you go with, Larry? Man, so this is a tough one for me. So this is, this is the one that actually has three people in this category, and I may go with the last one, okay? So mm-hmm. Brandon Ingram stands out to me as a guy that's has changed the game. He's come back from, from his injuries or his, his health scare and has put up great numbers, uh, getting, I think, the attention and the notoriety that he was expecting coming out of school. And Bam is the other guy that's, I think that the Heat have, have made a huge jump. And it's partly because of what he brings to the table, uh, his flexibility, you know, to guard multiple positions and play multiple positions on offense and defense. And then my last one is Jason. Jason Tatum, he's made a jump on the defensive side of the basketball, rebounding the basketball. Um, his offensive game has, has come together. Man, I wanted to see him finish out the season and continue to build on what he's done pre and post All-Star game. Uh, so those three, if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to have to go with the hometown guy, uh, Jason, uh, for the most improved. But it's a very, very tight uh, in, in this category for sure. So for any of our listeners that don't know, Larry, maybe you could talk a little bit about your your personal connection to Jason Tatum there. We don't want to get accused of, of being too much of a homer after the fact, but I, I'll back you up and say that that would actually be my choice as well. Just for the last like 10 games they played before the end of the season, that alone I think could could lock up an award like that. Yeah, so for him, when we talk about most improved, it's like his track starts way before these other guys, right? I mean, my history with him goes way back, so... Him improving year after year, I noticed that way more than I noticed any guy in, in the NBA. But at the same time, he's he's put in work. Jason is my my godson, my nephew. I mean, his dad are are, are best friends, are very close. So I've watched him grow from his, his youth days to his college days to his professional days, and I was just really impressed with his focus. Uh, his attention to detail, willingness to step out of the shadows and really compete to be a be an NBA All-Star. So that was kind of, you know, that's what went into my voting uh, for the most improved. And obviously, I have a long track record with him and I've seen his improvement for a number of years. Everything I've read, he seems like a, a good, nice dude and, and, and why, you know, obviously it's most improved player and that factors on the court performance, but it's just a lot easier to like root for somebody that, that is likable and has a good story. And as much, you know, expectation that was heaped on him after that, that early playoff run the year Kyrie sat out to, to take that and maybe struggle a little bit at, at, you know, during stretches last year or maybe not even struggle so much as people expected a big jump in year two that, that maybe didn't happen. The way he kind of just f- was freed up by making the all-star team, and I think he's even talked about this, about how it just kind of let him focus on basketball and get back to doing what he's doing. It, it was really cool to see just just like him kind of unleashed on, on people. Uh, teams didn't seem to have an answer for him. No, I think that that's the track for a lot of these players is once they get into the league that first year, Teams aren't scouting for them. They're pretty much letting them play freely, um, just allowing the, allowing their game to create the, it, itself. And then your second year, you're scouted some. I mean, there's tape out there on you. Uh, coaches are trying to figure out how to stop you. So it gets tough. And I think that you saw some of that in the second year. Some of the coaches were game planning against them, just the different situations that were going on internally with the team. Uh, he didn't quite know how to handle it. And as you come back for that third year, uh, you're refocused and re-energized to show exactly who everybody expected you to be. And that's that's what I'm seeing right now uh, from, from, from Lil' Jay. 
One of my biggest pet peeves is, is how quickly we sort of like give up on guys or, or just assume that their story is sort of set in stone. And the guy's two years into the league and he came in pretty young anyway. And it's like, well, you know, maybe he's never more than a 16, 17 per game scorer and it's not analytically sound. It's like, you don't think guys are going to keep adding stuff or, or, or get more comfortable and confident and it's just that that always drives me crazy. And I think that applies a lot to someone like Brandon Ingram, too, that, yeah. uh, you know, you get traded and in a different situation. And sometimes that's all guys need is just sort of whether that's they're with the same team, but the people around them have changed or they need a new team or a new coach or whatever that is. It's just I, I got to imagine so much about the NBA is about just being in the right fit and having the right opportunity. That I mean, that is very important. That is very important. I think basketball players are sports athletes in general. I think once they're comfortable in their environment, they're able to produce. I mean, I, I say that because I'm speaking from from you know from my own experience. When I felt comfortable in situations, I was able to produce more. Just you know, you know your surroundings better. You know what the expectations are. Uh, you know what you're capable of doing. It just gives you a little bit more juice uh, as you as you keep going. Speaking of your personal experience, was was that change of scenery one of the big ones going from Philly to, to Golden State? Is that something that sort of helped open things up for you? I, yes, that was part of the process for me. Being in Philadelphia, playing under Larry Brown, playing with Allen Iverson, going to Golden State just allowed me to expand and explore my game. We didn't win a lot of basketball games, so that was a, a, a tough period. But it did allow me some personal growth where I had to face adversity a lot more and a lot more often uh, being in that situation versus being in Philadelphia. So that situation being in in Golden State actually helped me uh, in my journey to Washington. And then everything that I picked up from there helped me in my journey to the next spot. So it, it really is about, you know, what that environment is. That's, that's very important. But again, it's about that player and, and how much they're willing to grow and learn themselves as well. You know, we're all trying to be uh, NBA champions, you know, NBA, you know, all-stars, first team this, first team that. But, you know, your environment, you know, in these situations that you're put in, your coaching staffs, all of that stuff plays into to how you actually execute that plan. Your first year in Washington was Michael Jordan's last year uh, in the NBA. Is that correct? Yes. How much pressure is put on a young player playing with someone like that? Because I, I think at least on paper, it seemed like you had a better year the next year after MJ retired. How, how freeing was that? Is that just more shots and more opportunities, less less pressure and expectation? Like what kind of help um, helps facilitate that jump? Uh, well, for me, it was it was an opportunity. I was very comfortable with, with playing with, with, with MJ because he actually signed me. Right. He actually. Good point. He wanted me there. So right. I was I came in the door confident, like, hey, the best player of all time. You know, he, he was wearing a couple of hats in the organization. You know, he wants me here. He wants uh, me on the court to to have a chance to play with him. So I came in to Washington with with supreme confidence. Uh, but that second year, we changed coaches and we we changed our system of our offensive system, which Eddie Jordan came in. And now we're running a more free flowing, moving, cutting Princeton offense uh, that we loved and made it our own, me and uh, Gilbert. But that played a part into how much success I was able to have because it was a different system that actually fit my game uh, more than than the other places. I'll be a, a shameless fanboy here for a minute. Your third and final season in Washington is actually my all-time favorite season as a Wizards fan, uh, just because that team, like you said, it, it was just really fun to watch. And, and the style of basketball you guys played was was really entertaining. And there was sort of like some real buzz and excitement and hope for the future. You guys were young and obviously 
both had room to grow and improve. And that, that was that was really fun to watch. And, and Eddie Jordan's always one of those names where I just kind of shocked that he never got like another real, like solid chance to install something like that in the NBA again. Just the way guys play now, I would think cutting and movement and all those sorts of things would, would fit in perfectly with kind of air quotes, you know, the modern NBA. Yeah, and, and I ran into Coach a few times just being out in the basketball space, and I'm sure he sat in on you know different training camps and practices. So his fingerprint is probably in there you know, more than we know because he, he's still active in the game. And like you said, the game now is really you know based on movement, cutting because of the switching and really fits what he was doing. Larry, I think we've uh, we've exhausted probably the list of, of topics here, and we want to save some things in our back pocket in case this is uh, another couple week long or even month long uh, situation where we don't have active basketball to talk about. So, at this point, I, I think we're going to sign off. And is there anything you want to leave the folks with before we call today? Just believe that we'll have basketball again and continue to tune in. That's right. Uh, this is the Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt, he's Larry, and we will check you guys next week as well. Have a good week, everyone, and stay safe and socially distant. to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube